and welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I am your host, Caleb Porzio. I'm your other host, Daniel Colburn. And today's episode is brought to you by Filson since Filson. 1897. This They've sponsored many episodes. Yeah. Thank you, Filson. They Filson's. just don't quit. Nope. Nope. They don't. Nope. 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 Uh, what's up, Caleb? Been a few weeks, huh, bud? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a minute. You yeah. had a thing, then I had a thing. Yeah. But now we're now we're back. Yeah, man. <sighs> just here to give the people what they want, Caleb. What do they want, Daniel? What do they want? They just—it's weird to think that this is what they want. <laughs> they don't just want us, this. Us getting on here talking about talking about the things. Um, what are the things? There's many things. We got a few things on the agenda today for you. We have first up, or in some order, Daniel is going to talk to us about. What is it again? Oh, I have a unified field theory of being wrong. Oh, great. Definitely want to hear that. Um, I want to talk about data tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course you do. And you haven't I also to want to talk about, about... much recently. Right. I've been bottling it up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, data tables and all things. And also, oh, a business idea, sort of. Oh. And what else, Daniel? Oh, I had one more. What else did I put in those notes? Um, data tables. Oh, I could open. Oh, dude, Telegram. I felt like mm, don't, doesn't matter. I don't know. I don't know, bud. Oh, who can even say? Who even knows? Um, um let me oh, see. Programming boot camps. Oh yeah, I definitely want to talk to you about that. You definitely talk about boot camps. Yes. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, where, so where do we start, we start? Deke? You want to talk about? programming boot camps or being yeah wrong? let's get that let's get that uh let's we'll time box that one and we'll just make that one a thing quick little you know thing okay daniel yeah um i have a friend sure you do and this I friend we're gonna say his name is ryan okay okay hypothetically hypothetically ryan and uh so ryan <laughs> mm-hmm. he was a professional musician sure for a long time yeah, in the before times when you could play music. Yes. Yeah, actually. Um, so as long as I've known him, we've been friends forever, like since very, very wee lads. My mom taught him piano, and in no time he like rose beyond my mom's skill level. Like it crazy, just crazy. So he he went on the fast track, piano and then viola and then yeah. music school and philharmonics mm-hmm. and things like that. So Big vibes, big music yeah, vibes. Yes, yes. So he um wanted a career switch so he couldn't land a job in an orchestra he could get substitute positions but those Mm -hmm. jobs you would not even believe how difficult it is to get a job in an orchestra that pays like like seventy thousand dollars you know like it's un unbelievable he literally would practice he practiced for years for eight hours a day okay at minimum to to do these auditions where you're behind like a curtain that people can't even see you and you do this audition, um, and very, very, very few people get these jobs. It's insane. So anyway, so I'm always like, dude, that's, you know, I respect that, but that's crazy, man. Like, mm-hmm. just so you know, coding's always here for you. Yeah. So he decided to make the leap. Yeah. And he, there's, so this is like a trend. Other people in music that he knows did this. Made the um, leap. Yeah. So a good friend of his used, uh, did Tech Elevator. Um, it's a boot camp. Okay. And... There's like two tracks. There's a Java Spring Framework track, and then there's a .NET C Sharp track. And okay. so their friend did the C Sharp track and got a job at Progressive, I think. 
and um, and it worked really well. And I uh-huh. think this boot camp is like 14 weeks, maybe. Okay. Something like that. Um, yeah, I think it's 14 weeks. And so it's like 15 grand or something. Okay. And their job placement's like 98% or something like that. Sure, sure, sure. You know, and so this is a pretty common thing, right? Like this is this is the mm-hmm. same story I've heard of every boot camp. It's yep. kind of the same thing. It's just like a feeder program for some company that will always hire. Basically. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that is the first thing that I I think there's a misconception there that like, oh, you can learn programming in 14 weeks enough to get a job. And really it's that, you know, that is sort of true and not true. Yes. Because they, they do have you apply to lots of companies, mm-hmm. rando companies. Um, but, you know, the way, the reason they have that placement rate is because they have They're deals with yeah. exactly for big insurance companies and banks. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the thing. He does this, this thing and uh, it is insane how fast they go, but they touch everything. So by the end of it, he had done uh, Vue.js. He had done .NET. He'd done like backend stuff, MVC a little bit of HTML and CSS, but, you know, a very thin knowledge of all those things, but sure. definitely touched all of them. Sure. Um, so anyway, here's the thing. The story is he applies to like 50 jobs. Like they sure. have you just, they go through this applying phase and they do these mock interviews and all this stuff. So he goes, to, does this whole thing, applies to these jobs and gets a call back from a bank. Yep. And who shall remain nameless. Mm-hmm. And this bank um interviews him and so i'm talking to him and i'm like this is great ryan like you're you're mm-hmm. gonna get you know this is what you wanted to get the job you know his dad's like so pumped it's like mm-hmm. he's got this job with benefits and it pays as much as an orchestra position mm-hmm. um but he's like but i don't I honestly don't know what i'd be doing like they didn't give me any clarity on it and, and you mm-hmm. know i'm just like oh you know i'm sure whatever you'll be a developer or whatever mm-hmm. so they hire him here's the twist and here's what i want your opinion on they hire him and then he comes back to me and he says so this is kind of weird. I'm called a developer ad or a, not a developer advocate. I'm called a developer associate. So his mm-hmm. position is developer associate. Okay. And actually what they said, they put me on a team that's, that does testing. And okay. I'm like, okay, you know, like not ideal, but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we're probably going to be using Selenium and things like that. Okay. 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 Um, so it's starting to sound to me like they put him He's on like a, QA a QA team. Engineer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So first off, we could even just stop there. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of like upset about this. Sure. Like, I feel like I got bait and he switched. Thought he, he thought he was going to be making things and now he's not. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And they never told him that he wasn't going to be or that he was. They didn't tell him anything. You so, know, it's just like. And so I think there's this. So I think he raised this to somebody. And I believe some of the response to him has been like, dude, you should be happy you have a job. You know, like. You know, you don't, yeah. you're not really qualified. We sure. hired you and we're paying you a lot. Do whatever we tell you to do kind of thing. Right. Um, which is very interesting because he's asking me my take on it. And I have two takes. Right. I have one take that's like, like, dude, no, like don't set yourself up on this, this career path of working with Selenium. Like you don't, you don't want to go down that road. Like yeah. now's the best time to be to in the right track. Guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like it's only going to get harder to not be in QA than it yeah. is right now. So it turns out half the people that are working on his team do manual testing, don't even use Selenium. Like, so there's a possibility that he'll be a manual tester. Yeah. Which means literally just clicking through things. Yep. Oh, gross. 
So I'm curious to hear your take. Let's say he's not being a manual tester and he's going to be like a QA engineer. Sure. I'm curious to hear. Basically. Yeah. Like, do you think that that it's that he should be like just grateful that he's got a job? You know, he's so green to all this and just work his way up and find a way to hop over to a new team and get in there. Or should does he have rights and should be like, "Mm, this isn't what I signed up for. There's got to be a better fit. Can I move to another team? You know what I mean? Like what? Sure. What do you think? Or what's the right move for him? I mean, this fundamentally comes down to my thing about programming boot camps, which is that they don't actually make you like that employable. Right. right? Yes. Um, Like I would almost never, if you are a person who has any interest in programming, if you're not a person who has any interest in programming, I would say don't become a programmer Mm, for the money. If you have interest in programming. I'm saying if you don't have interest in programming. Okay. Don't become a programmer for the money. Oh, 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 okay, go on. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you hate it, like, you're just going to have to do a lot of it is the thing. And <laughs> if you hate it, you're going to keep hating it, you know? You think people hate it? Some people do, yeah. You think so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never heard of a person who hates programming. Well, it's because they're not programmers. I know. <laughs> you know, um, though, like, I mean, it just seems like even if even if the people don't, even if people aren't like, you know, I'm I'm in love with programming, it's like, I don't know. I don't really encounter people who don't well, like, feel it, like you know? I feel like you have to do a lot of programming to get to the point of actually hating programming. And oh, really? I thought you were going to say the opposite. I think people who don't like programming just don't do programming, right? Maybe they someone right, shows right. them a little bit of something at some point, and they're like, yeah, it's not for me, and they mm-hmm. just don't do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like they don't have enough exposure to truly hate, maybe. Yeah. But if you don't like programming... And you're just like trying to get out of some field and get into programming, which is a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I would say a boot camp is going to set you up for exactly the career path that you're talking about, which is going into the meat grinder of corporate America and doing whatever you're told with whatever technology they feel like having you work with. Right. And not really having much say in anything. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, like... The reason these companies hire people out of boot camps is because they can't find a lot of Selenium engineers to hire. Right. <laughs> right? And so they hire some guy who's like, well, you know what a variable is, and I bet if I stick you on a team with old Ed, who's been here since 1987, old Ed will be able to show you Selenium enough for you to do what old Ed does. You know? Yeah. Um, And so it, it, that's the thing, right? It's like boot camps are often like a feeder program for some company that for some reason is unable to hire the normal way either they work with technologies that no one wants to work with or they have like shitty work to do so no one wants to take that job or they need to hire that many people or they right um or they like are based in a part of the country where there's not a lot of programmers Mm -hmm. or yeah they or they are unwilling to pay what a programmer deserves and so they I mean, this, need the, to hire people who they can exploit the boot camp has a feeder program in this situation and it seems like a lot of situations the starting salaries are like 60 mm-hmm. you know that's not bad yeah, it's not bad but what i'm saying is like it's 60 because you are working with selenium probably you know like, well so right and i think it i think like sometimes that's not the case gotcha. but i think um I think that I I bet I bet the way that this is structured inside that company is that there's someone 
who is basically like a tech staffing guy. Yeah. And all the teams come to him when they have needs. Yep. And with whatever budget they have allocated from whoever allocated it and say, hey, we need to augment our team by like two people. And he's like, great, I will make you two junior developers. And he goes out and he like forges two junior developers (laughs) out of a boot camp somewhere. Yeah. And says, congratulations, you're now a Selenium developer. Like, go join the Selenium team. Yep. And then when the iOS team hits him up, he's like, great, you, you're going to learn Swift. Like, go learn Swift, you know? Yep. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, that he, he told me that, they've, that he's been hearing a lot within the company is that everybody's a developer, you know? Mm-hmm. There's no questions. Everybody's a developer. There's no such thing as, no, not everybody's. There's product people. There's pro- mm-hmm. product heads, um, scrum masters. Maybe it's product managers, scrum masters, and developers, um, which to me seems like, you know, a ploy. Like it's it's a way for them not to have to call what Ryan's doing what it is. Which is QA. Which is QA. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you think he should do? Because a part of, so basically his fear of raising this to someone, which by the way, he's inside of a bank, like he's mm-hmm. inside of a behemoth there is no there's no person he can go to besides the person directly above him mm-hmm. who really doesn't you know who's not going to say anything yeah it's not yeah. they're just going to be like no you're here now you know yeah. like it's not there's no person you know you can't go to a to a whatever and yeah. you know raise like i don't feel like this is a good fit for my career growth and they go like oh we want you to be in the you know it's more like yeah, yeah, yeah. no you're a cog in the in the machine yeah so so his fear is a that he'll piss off, you know, his manager that he'll be stuck with forever and his and his coworkers by like mm-hmm. belittling them that, you know, yeah. I don't want to be here. This is shit work. Yeah. Or I don't know if I said A or B, but that A or B that um, they're like, okay, well, this isn't a good fit. Okay, we're going to have to fire you. You know, like yeah, he's going to yeah. lose his job. So those are possibilities and he should take those seriously. Um, I, I think you have to, in this instance, decide if you want to be a programmer right and decide what type of programming you want to do Mm -hmm. become good at that type of programming like you used to practice eight hours a day for playing the cello or whatever right so like (laughs) feel yeah so like clearly you are self-regulated enough to practice something on your own totally so go learn something good that you want to work in make a bunch of stuff and then quit this job and go get another job this is tough, man. It, I feel like I see so many people that are in this position mm-hmm. where the, my answer is really um, what I want to say to people is exactly what you just said. Like, you know, kind of pick, like do some surveying, pick a thing, you know, whether it's like you want to be in React or, you know, go around to job boards and figure out, you know, what you have the best chance of or who you know and right. have connections, whatever. And zoom in on that thing. And the answer is really just build stuff. And if you build enough stuff, like honestly, if you build Someone a, a SaaS app. a building stuff job. Exactly. That's the thing. You have to build stuff to get a building stuff job. Yeah. That's yep. just how it is. Otherwise, you have to go through something like a boot camp and kind of cross your fingers that you get placed well. And then um, hope that or the go to spits you out into a building stuff job. Yeah. Yeah. You Right. So, yeah. That's the thing. You can't just learn. Funny. You can't just learn programming on your own. You have to learn how to build stuff right. on your own. That's the thing. That's the thing. And you have that stuff in open source repositories, and then that's your resume. Yeah. You can make up for not 
having and here's the thing. job experience I, if you have. You, you can know. argue still that the boot camp money was money well spent, right? Totally. Because you're going to be doing something for a living while you're learning how to build stuff. Yeah. Right. And before you were being a musician for a living during a pandemic. Um, and now you're going to be a QA engineer for a living. Right. So like you're going to make more money and you're going to be closer to technology and people who know about tech. And like maybe you could have some conversations with your coworkers about the things that you're learning and, you know, pick up some things. Who knows what your coworkers actually know, but they probably totally. know something, you yep. know. More than your musician coworkers did. Right. Um, so, like, you're going to do something for a living while you're learning programming on your nights and weekends. Right. So, why not just do this until you get have enough knowledge to get another job offer and then quit? Yep. And his, so, to I would that, not concern himself with moving laterally inside this company. It seems like a waste of time. You think so? Yeah. I would say, fuck this I mean, company. there's like dot .NET else. teams in the yeah, company you don't want to be a .NET guy no one well, wants does to do that. that he went oh, to boot camp to learn .NET. oh interesting well so now he now that he's in this predicament and what you're talking about like you know here you, you're gonna have to have a job and so here's a perfectly fine job and then yeah. after hours learn stuff so he was considering learning python to which sure. i said that's a great idea yeah. that's a, a fantastic idea yeah or i mean there's so much Learning Python would be it maybe the best many things backend language to learn. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, except yeah. you know what you know what the worst thing about Python is? What? Elif. You know about Elif? No. They don't have Elsif. They have Elif. It's Elif. Interesting. E L I F. It's like, come on, be a yeah, real language and say Elsif like everyone else. Elif. Funny. Elif. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I encounter. I feel like I I need a better answer for when people ask me about the probability of becoming a pro pro programmer and a timeline for getting a job. Like people want answers. You know what my answer is? Literally. It's like, can you put in 10 hours a week for six months learning? You think that'll do it? That'll get you a junior dev job. Yeah. Word. Like, can you put in 10 hours a week? um, Yeah. For six months learning this and like make something. Yes. Yeah, totally. That's, and that's like, I have these people, Caleb, who will do everything except the making something. Yep. And I'll sit here and tell them, great, what are you working on building? Yeah, right. And they're like, oh, right now I'm just kind of learning about like React. Yeah. I was like, great, what do you mean? You're, are you like reading a book about React or are you like <laughs> making something in React? I don't right. understand. But like, what do you mean you're learning? And so like, yeah, it's wild to me. Dude, I mean, I... I feel I, I want to. And even if they like, do make something, they make something that's only locally hosted. They'll make these like it was like no, you need to make something that has a domain name and it's on the internet. Yep. It doesn't matter how how lame it is. That's it, dude. You need to make a website with a domain name or an iPhone app that is in the App Store. You need to m- ship something to production in yep. some way or another. And if you haven't done that, you got nothing. You got nowhere yeah, to. You're not hireable. Yep. It's so true. That honestly, like as a weed out thing, like somebody wants to learn programming. I'm just saying in terms of like people talking to me and asking me for advice and things like that. Mm -hmm. Just like that's it. Like you can't even talk about it until you build an app, you know, and I can help you do that. And I can tell you what to build it in and where to get the knowledge to build it. You have to come to me and tell me what you're going to build. And most of the time it's going to be something that's too complicated because you don't get it. 
right? Yeah. But like, you have to tell me what you're interested in, and we're gonna come up with an app for you to build around the thing you're interested. If you're interested in Magic: The Gathering cards, I'm gonna make you an app that lets you like enter all the Magic: The Gathering cards you have and like right. rank them by price, and like we'll look up the price from an API or something, and yep. you know, and then that'll be your thing. And then we're gonna make that app. We're gonna set up real user accounts and registration and stuff with SendGrid or you know Mailgun or something. And then or just we're just gonna use Jetstream, whatever. Or we'll use Jetstream. But like we're gonna just kidding. Stick Jetstream it, sucks. We're gonna stick it online. I'm just kidding. And you might be the only Again. user of this thing, but you're gonna post it to the subreddit for your for your hobby, and maybe you'll get like two or three users. You know. Like, totally that's what we're doing here and yeah. if you're not do- if we're not you're not about that then like i don't know maybe you can go be a qa engineer somewhere and pay 15 grand for a boot camp you know yep if you don't have your own project if you don't have an actual working application that's been in per- like you shouldn't even care about getting a job yeah that's the way i'm thinking and i think that is the biggest misconception people wanting to get into it and thinking that it's a function of time spent watching tutorials it's so not though and absorbing knowledge yeah. and it's it's very difficult to but yeah the learning experience for self-taught programmers and not, i almost think you shouldn't watch a tutorial until you've tried to learn it without watching a tutorial you think so yeah like if you want to learn python hurt. sure if you want to learn python you can watch the like intro to python tutorial or whatever uh, but yeah. first you should go to like python.com or whatever and like go through and be like okay how do i install python and like see if you can figure out how to install python and see if you can figure out how to open a terminal and you know see if you can figure out how to type yeah. into a REPL. like until you get stuck once you're stuck now go start but like get some forward momentum on this thing because watching tutorials is so passive you know yep. you like get get your hands dirty first and then you're invested you know this is that uh jason freed shared a shared something by somebody that I'm sure I've said on this show, but it is like one of my favorite insights into learning my entire life. Answers are, or questions are holes for answers. So like, you know, answers without holes to go in, answers with no questions means nothing. So when you're watching a tutorial, it's just like, you know, I don't know, like baseball is being thrown at your face. Where if you're watching, if if you've already gone and you've struggled first, and then you watch the tutorial, then you have a, a mitt that the baseball is being thrown into. Exactly. Um, yeah, that I mean, that's very, very clear to me. And that that is the way. The, the trouble is knowing how to get... So the, the process of getting the questions is building stuff and struggling. But there is a question of what to build because I, like, I remember when I, st- when I started learning Python, uh, when I first started learning programming in general, sure. I made a little address book, which was just an array you know, of addresses and whatnot. And I just learned how to manipulate arrays basically, but I didn't have an objective because I didn't know what objective to set. And I could have, you know, and it's not like I was looking to get a job. I was like 12 years old having fun uh-huh. What I, but I still would like to build something. I just needed an occasion to rise to like scar with, with um, Pascal. Like we right. had something to do that we wanted to accomplish. Yeah. So I think that's I really in my inventory. One of the things that a mentor can provide, I think yeah, one of the most important things goal. is your next goal. And yeah. making it a non-contrived, interesting goal, um, that, that I think is probably one of the most valuable things, is giving, giving the learner uh, something to struggle on, mm-hmm. and then the learner comes to you with the question holes. Otherwise, well, like, they don't come to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the thing, like, because 
Yeah, like my my neighbor is like learning stuff right now, right? Oh yeah. And What's this, uh, the, is this the neighbor with the mountain name? Forest B- Bill? No, no, other neighbor. Okay. Um, can you June say bug. his name on here? Bug. Is the neighbor with the mountain name? Um, I. Yeah. So my neighbor is learning stuff. Okay. And he um, he is learning React and React adjacent things. You know. Yeah. So he comes to me with this question. And it's a question that doesn't make sense as a question. You know? Okay. You, you've had these situations, right? Let's hear it. Where I don't exactly remember it, but it was like it was like he's learning React and he had he has a question about um about like programmatically changing the route using React navigation, right? Okay. So he basically like React navigation is like inherently imperative or inherently uh, declarative, and he wants to do something very imperative with React Navigation. Okay. And the answer is, like, that's not how this works, right? Right, okay. Um, but then I, like, look a little bit at his project, and I'm like, why are you using React Navigation here, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, because uh, I want to go to another page, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, well... Why don't you just make another HTML file and then like use an A link and then link to that other HTML file? Sure, because, right, like, and that's not obvious to someone yeah. starting on the React. And app. he he has no idea of sort of the basics of how like websites navigate and like you know things like that yeah, because yeah, he yeah. just started in React. And so it's like those types of things, like making sure that the things that like you're going to struggle learning programming, right? Yeah. And if you struggle on the right things, you're going to learn and become effective. And if you struggle on the wrong things, like how do I make React navigation behave in an imperative way so that mm-hmm. I can navigate because that that's the only way I know of to navigate? Um, then you're not really learning. I mean, you're learning something. I probably. think you're learning. But like the more right the problems you're struggling are on are. For sure. The, that's a more The more ideal. effective your learning time is. Yes, you exactly. Know, the more you're yeah. going to learn in a shorter time. So that takes you from 10 hours a week for six months to 10 hours a week for a year if it, if you spend a lot of time without a mentor working on the wrong problems. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I remember like the the one random thing that comes to mind is when I was using CodeIgniter and had to do like basically synchronize a list of records with the database, you know? So you do sure. like you're like, how do I do this? You build up a list of things to... Basically, you end up like doing one query to to know what things to insert, one query to know what things to delete, and then one query to know what things to update. You know, yeah. remember, remember that you've done that before, yeah. and like Laravel has sync, so it kind of takes care of that. But I don't know. That's one of those things that you have to that you have to just like it helps to have struggled through that with no idea what to do, and just made something kind of gross and horrible, and then over time learned a better way. But yeah, so I mean, to, to your point, I I'm sort of picturing like um. Like, uh, okay, picture a really wide bowling lane mm-hmm. and you like throw the bowling ball down and let's say there, there's bumpers on it, but it's like a 10 foot wide lane yeah. and it's just like bouncing back and forth like crazy and a good mentor sort of moves the bumpers in, you yeah. know, so you're still bouncing narrower. around, but it's narrower. So the path is more straight on uh-huh. average um and you're struggling more on the right things but still experiencing the wrong things organically but yeah i think that's the role of like a good mentor the benefit of a good mentor yeah yeah i'm always wondering because i like i I, i'm always actively mentoring a few people it seems Mm -hmm. um and there's one person that i'm actively mentoring on tuesdays so rarely 
the things that I say seriously. That's the thing. And that's why I'm like not actively mentoring more people. You, people you have to go ahead. The people who have done the things that I said to do yeah. are working. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. like I'm right. <laughs> I know. I know what yeah. to do, you know, but like the people who are just like, I don't know, man, like I heard from this other guy that this thing i'm like all right man well like if that other guy's gonna get you to working then go for it but it's been like a year and a half of you talking about how you're learning programming and like you know yeah i uh i learned a while ago that like uh i'm not because i i just sort of fell in this trap i don't know if you're this way but i i would fall into this thing where i'd be so excited to get somebody into programming yeah that i would be over eager and -hmm. almost more dedicated to it than they were yeah and well, like, it's not a question of debt. This is the problem. The people who aren't willing to do the work, like, screw those people. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not invested in your project if you're not invested in your project, right? Yeah. The people who I'm talking about are the people who are very invested and continue to spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours working on programming, just not in the way that I told them to, you know? So, yes. like, whatever. They've found some Udemy course or something that is, like, okay. their, that is what they want to sure. do. Sure. Yeah. And that's cool. Like do it. But then like I keep saying, hey, you should explore a backend framework. Any backend framework. Just learn something about yeah. the backend. And they're just like, that's too scary. I'm not going to do it. You know? <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, then these questions that you have about like where does the data come from? Like I'm never really going to be able to help you with that. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. That's not my experience, at least. My experience is usually people who are really interested. So my first thing is like, you know, I don't even know what my first thing is, but but usually they go off and they watch like, you know, Code Academy or something. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm trying. Yeah, right. Like, oh, no, I built like a little whizzy or a little doodad today. And I, you know, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And then a lot of times it dies there. If it doesn't and they want to go, you know, the step further, um, I'm usually open to like meeting once every so often, you Mm -hmm. know, with them to kind of help them out. And then it becomes a thing of, will you come to this meeting having dying for information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, will you be like starving for answers to your, these like burning problems that you Mm -hmm. can't get past and you have an Oracle to get you past them? Um, and if that's not the case, then I just let her let it peter out because it's yeah. like I I can't you know yep. th- you have to put in work so that you come with questions. This isn't a yeah, you know yeah. Caleb's gonna teach you what to do every week. It's like a yeah. Caleb's gonna fill your he's gonna mentor you and yeah, and yeah. the you know exactly. So anyway, and then if you're past that, which I am with somebody right now, and we're in this process of, and it's really interesting. He's learning Laravel. Um, he's currently a working developer in Salesforce. Uh-huh. He's learning Laravel and uh, on the side and he's coming to me with these questions. He keeps a yeah, little yeah. notebook and they're really good questions and we're uncovering like fundamental things. And yesterday I literally just walked him through basically why Lara- all the Laravel magic and just yeah, yeah. was reacquainted with how bewildering Laravel is to somebody who doesn't know where the line between PHP and Laravel is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's totally mind bending. It's yeah, yeah, just yeah. a big mush. Uh, so anyway, whatever. But yeah, I guess th- those are all thoughts and conversations on the learning process of mentoring. But I am happy that we had this conversation because one, I think Ryan, I'm going to tell him to listen to this and he'll have some good thoughts from it. So thank you for that. Yep. He's, I'm messaging him and I'm like, I really just want to ask Daniel some of these questions, but we can record it and I'll just tell him to listen to the show. Yeah. And I think I've hardened my position that like 
you don't have anything unless you've built something. Like yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't even talk about getting a job until you've built something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't even mention it. Well, and like you you don't have a bargaining chip until you've built something, right? Like you yep. can go like whine at your boss about wanting a different job. But he's going to say like, or what? You're going to go get another job? Like, right. With yeah. what? With the nothing that you've exactly, built? Exactly, yes. You know? And even internally, it's the same thing. Like you yeah. need a bargaining chip. And and somebody in that position doesn't have one. And that is the fundamental flaw with boot camps mm-hmm. is you are, it's a feeder. So you're at their whim. It's not like, oh, I did this boot camp. Their, you know, their placement didn't work out. Oh, no problem. You know, I can go get another job. Mm-hmm. Not the case. And that's the fundamental flaw. I still don't think the $15,000 is wasted at all, no matter what. Because in the realm of programming, like, it that's a drop on, in the bucket. It depends on what you were willing to do on your own. Um, what do you mean? It just depends on whether you were willing to learn all those things on your own. Yeah, yeah. Without having to pay fifteen grand for them. If you weren't, and you needed someone to structure that for you and like... Right. Give you I think that's what a lot of people need. Then, yeah. then it's not wasted. If you're interested and excited in programming then like you'll go figure it out yourself yeah and the thing is those people have jobs yeah. <laughs> everybody that i talk those to those people learned it when they were teenagers because there's yep that's what they wanted to do that's what it is those yeah. people they're already programmers yeah i think that is a commonality with every single person that i've talked to about this stuff yeah this is new to them tech is new to them computers are new to them you know like real computer stuff right right or anybody we're talking about that's like us You've been in it forever. You just were into it since you were born, you know? Yep. Just in your blood. Yep. And that's a difference. And that's a difference. Okay, I'll be done in a second. But that's a difference why when we are talking to those people, there's a disconnect. Because we're like, oh, you're not like totally just enamored at the fact that you can make a computer do something and you're not just obsessed with yeah, like, yeah, yeah. diving into the infinite hole of of programming, you know? Right. Um. Yeah. So there is a difference there. There is a difference. All right. Not, good not stuff. Everyone's Thank you, a hobbyist. Um, yep. All right. Um, let's talk about okay, unified field theory being wrong. This is something I've been thinking about. Okay. Um, so I'm not talking about being incorrect here. I'm talking oh. about being like morally wrong. Oh. Okay. So like a great, situation great, where great. like you've done the wrong thing. Yeah. You've done the bad You've thing. been selfish. You've been arrogant. I... You've been whatever. Right. Yeah. You've, you've been wrong. Okay. You've wronged someone, right? Yeah. I have this theory that people should be a little bit morally wrong more often (laughs) because it inoculates you because, and then go through the cleanup process. Yep. Yep. Of apologizing, making things right. You know, it like makes you such repairing a the person. damage yeah. of doing a small moral wrong. Yep. Because it inoculates you from large moral wrongs. Oh, like, interesting. That's my theory, right? Because like, like when I look at people, especially like people who, um, I don't want to get too deep into this, but like I have Go a friend, deep. I have a friend who did a great moral wrong. Okay. Um, what are we talking great? You don't have to give the specifics, but is great moral. Are we talking like murder or like cheating on your wife or like yeah, robbing cl- a liquor store? Sh- closer to like cheating on your wife, right? Okay. Something that like. You're not going to be put um, in prison forever, but it's it's like very, very wrong. It's very wrong and it like created damage in the community. Sure. Okay. You know? 
Yeah. And it's like this thing, and he is kind of in this spot of like, uh, like he's sort of taking some responsibility for like not being a great person, I guess. Oh, okay. But not necessarily taking a lot of responsibility for the specific thing that okay. he did. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, and it's clearly like a shame based thing, right? Of like, I have this great moral wrong that I've committed and I can't cop to having done the bad thing because if I've done the bad thing, that makes me a bad person, right? And the this is the distinction that I think is so important is that, that, like, that people's value judgments of themselves and other people, right, um, are based in whether or not they have done a bad thing, right? And so that, like, if someone has done a bad thing, they are a bad person, right? And because we societally don't really normalize um, taking responsibility for your small wrongs. Okay. Right? Like, we generally, a lot of the stuff that's out there right now is um, is about, like, not feeling any shame, right? Oh, it's like, uh, yeah. feel no shame. Don't worry. You got this. You shouldn't feel guilty about any of this stuff. Yeah, Everybody does it. It happens to everyone. Whatever. Yeah. Right? Just You just got to be growing. Right? You always just got to be growing. Right? And we all make mistakes. So there's a lot of this sort of um, couching sort of moral wrongs as mistakes. Right? And yeah. that mistakes are something that can be forgiven. But like it, it separates them from moral wrongs. And so there are still these things that we believe are moral wrongs. But we don't believe that normal people do moral wrongs. We we believe that normal people only make mistakes. Okay. And only truly evil people do morally bad things. Hmm. Right? And I guess what I'm saying is, I think we should normalize um, hmm. ev- the fact that everyone does morally bad things on sm- on a small scale all the time. Yeah. And that those things are moral wrongs that you should take responsibility for and repair yeah. on the small scale so that you have the tools to handle that on a large scale should you ever do a large moral wrong. And even if you're not planning on doing a large moral wrong, normalizing this in society is good because someone will do a large moral wrong and we want to instruct society on how to handle that, right? Like, yeah, like if society is about like making right the wrong, the harm that you cause, then when someone else causes harm, they're more likely to make it right because they will have been taught those tools. Right. And we we don't have like a good framework for large moral wrongs in society at the moment or small moral wrongs. Yeah, I'm particularly Um, interested in the small moral wrongs. Like, okay, it's it's so. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so let me let me try to connect with this sure. in a concrete way, and then you could tell me if I'm barking up the yeah, wrong yeah. tree. Well, it's not concrete yet, so you might be the one to make it concrete. Okay, so you started saying this, and I immediately I was like, holy crap, this is crazy, because I did at least one moral wrong this week. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if it was more than one. Uh, One very, 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 very minor moral wrong. And the other one, a less minor, but still pretty, pretty, fairly minor. Sure. And 
Uh, so, so I, I, like when you were sort of describing this, um, like my, my response to you right away, you were like, it's really important for people to commit small moral wrongs because it helps them to, and then I filled in the blank incorrectly, like you said something different, but I said it helps them to be a better person. Well, no, I think that's true, but I think that I was kind of digging it like how, yeah, how yeah, yeah. they be a better person. Well, so it brought me right back to, so I had this experience where I had that, that like, oh, Caleb, you're a bad person feel, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I went through the cycle and it was, you know, it wasn't huge. It wasn't earth shattering or anything. Um, I can't give specifics because the person actually listens to the show. Sure. So I think if you're listening to this and you know that we've had an interaction this week that would have made me feel bad, mm-hmm. you know what we're talking about. So yeah, one yeah. person in this show is tracking this right now. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I had this experience that I haven't had in a long time where I did something and the person called me out on it and I immediately knew what it was and what the wrong was and had the like, oh, you know, that horrible feeling and then owning up to it and, you know, admitting you're wrong and saying, doing what you can. And it's actually very delicate to do what you can to make everything right, um, like objectively, like do the things to undo the wrong as best as you can. Mm -hmm. And then to appropriately apologize enough, but not overdo it such that the person who sort of called you out would feel like, oh, I'll never do that again because now they, they're they just right, right. nonstop, like, I'm so sorry, like, get over it. We can move past, you know? It's a very interesting, delicate thing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the feeling that I got f- coming from that and another thing this week that I can't remember, but I remember it building on this feeling was this feeling of, like, increased grace and mercy towards everybody, mm-hmm. heightened awareness of the areas where I'm constantly, like, like uh, doing bad Mm-hmm. You know, like partic- for me, it's it's a lot of like insult stuff because my mm-hmm. humor is very like dry. And I think I am a critical person. Um, I have that that critical eye or judgmental thing inside of me. And sometimes it comes out in my humor and actually just annoying and offensive ways. Right. So it gives me a heightened awareness of like my how I posture myself, my language. Um, and it just makes me want to hug people mm-hmm. and say I'm sorry to people who have or like show mercy to people who've wronged me and say, I'm sorry to people I've wronged. But really, it, it fills you with empathy. Yes. It fills you with empathy. And and I felt that And I, when I worked at Titan and some of my moral wrongs were exposed there mm-hmm. in big ways. And it just like, this, I experienced this whole cycle on a big scale. Mm-hmm. And in so many ways, it made me a better person. Sure. A lot of, some of it I feel... I almost feel the opposite, like what you're saying, like some of what you're saying that um, there, in some ways there wasn't a framework. I'm not saying at the Titan level, but just while I was there, that's like, it felt like there wasn't a framework for being morally wrong. Like it wasn't a normalized thing. Yeah. So I had to really be like very bad and hard on myself, which Mm -hmm. I think at times is unnecessary. And if it was more normalized, it could be a more fly by night thing. It could be a more like. You know, I don't know, but well, I, okay. So I've given you some that, concrete like, things. If there's what not a framework for moral wrongs, then even a small moral wrong is a great stressor. Yes, right? because because what, it's the only moral wrong that's ever surfaced about me, or whatever. You know, because everything else has just been mistakes. I think there's a there's an underpinning that you touched on that feeds that that should be corrected. Is that there are bad people and there are good people. Right. You know. Like doing something bad reveals that you are bad. Right, exactly. You know, rather than the like existentialist idea of like you, if there, you are not a good person inherently. Yeah, or a bad person. The more inherently. you do, or a bad person, the more you do good, that 
is you being a good person by doing that good and the more you do bad that is you well, i would just say there's not such a thing as good and bad people there's people and there's actions right there's right? people and who... there are good and bad actions right yep. and those actions have good and bad effects right for sure and like that like at a certain point like being a quote-unquote good person is just over and over and over again making the choice to do the good action instead of the bad action more yep. times than not right and that's just what there is to it right but it's not like good people come from like a an internally an internal locus of good and evil people come from an internal locus of evil i don't buy that it is actually a really really important philosophy to hold right and that th there is no inherent you are good and you are bad well right and that this is like uh Di differentiating within yourself a difference between like what you, who you are and what you do is so important right because what you have done doesn't define who you are right because like it does though sure 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 it does but it doesn't define like like i have i've done a lot of bad things right but those things sure. don't define me in this moment right they contribute to a definition of you sure, sure and sure, you sure. can undo that definition just like how you said you know, a good person is just a person who just consistently does good and right. has a history of doing good. Sure, 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 sure. But like, I what I guess my thing is that like good people, right? Because yeah. there's this belief that like uh, doing bad reveals the that you are actually one of the bad people. Yeah. yeah. Right. Good people will fight tooth and nail not to get caught doing a small bad thing. Yeah. Because they don't want to reveal that they are actually a bad person. Yep. Underneath all that. Right. And since there's no normalized framework in in I would say in society as a whole. Right. Yeah. For like small moral wrongs like. Uh, and for good people doing like morally bad things occasionally and then like yep. making up for them and making amends and correcting the wrong, you know, like it leads to people being less likely to actually make the amends and actually correct the wrong because they'd rather just not get caught. Or yeah. like have people forget that they did it or whatever. Yep. I definitely think that's. There's this. um the, uh, So I, I've been thinking about this the last little bit. The other night okay. I didn't sleep very well for other reasons. Um, <laughs> but while I was not sleeping, I recalled this interaction I had. And I think this would be nine, eight or nine years ago. I lived in Chattanooga. I worked in a restaurant called Blacksmith's Bistro. Mm -hmm. Next door, there was a coffee shop. Yeah. Um, and there was a girl who worked in the coffee shop who was like close friends with a lot of my friends. And we were like kind of friends and acquaintances. We worked next door to each other. So we'd be like out back smoking a cigarette and talking sometimes. Anyway, she came into work. She's wearing like a jean jacket or something looking kind of like 90s grunge or whatever. Okay. And I, in like an immature and like probably somewhat sexist way, go, you look like you should be fucking Kurt, Co Kurt Cobain right now. <laughs> Which is, like, not a nice thing to say to a person, generally. Mm -hmm. And, like, she's at work. I don't know. Anyway, turns out one of the guys, like, in the fucking coffee shop right then is her dad. um, Who really doesn't appreciate that I've said this. So I, like, oh my weasel gosh. my way out of it somehow mm. without apologizing, you know. Yeah. And then I, like, go back to work. And then, and then now every six to eight months I think about this, the time that I had said that thing in that way. And I was just, like, covered in shame. And then like left, you know, and I was like, oh man, that's such a, it's a small moral wrong that I did that I just never corrected, never dealt with. And like, here I am like 
29 years old, just chewing on it occasionally. So anyway, I messaged this girl on Instagram and I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember this, but like when you worked at this coffee shop, like you came in wearing a jean jacket. I said, you look like you should be fucking Kurt Cobain. Your dad was there. It was a whole thing. Um, she didn't remember it, but she did say, you are now absolved of this cringy memory. <laughs> and I was like, awesome. And she said she was just thinking about me apologizing to someone who she had said something cringy to years ago. And I was like, funny. You should do it. It feels really good. I feel great right now. Thanks. You know? Yeah, you know, that's pretty interesting, Daniel. That that approach. So this dude, this is coming at a good time. Yeah. I got two things to say on yeah. this. So somebody came to me uh-huh. and did exactly what you're describing like right. two days ago. Sure. Um, somebody messaged me and said, Hey, just so you know, I still, I st- my, I still get knots in my stomach when I think about that thing that I, you know, that uh-huh. thing, whatever. Uh, sure. This is like probably a year ago. Sure. It was something that somebody did publicly and was was like not cool to do, uh-huh. and so was I. You know, I don't know. I, it was just kind of sort of called out naturally, yeah. and and they felt really bad, and they apologized a ton, and you know, and I, you know, made sure to to like affirm that it was bad, but also accept the apology and. Yeah. Um, and then a year later, this person still has knots in their stomach about this. And I, so I messaged them. I was like, dude, you gotta stop. If you can, please let me help you. Let, let me like remove that for you because like I got my own knots. Like I just had a new knot this week and, uh, and here's cheers to not having knots. But Mm -hmm. so that's a very surf, I guess. So the reason I say that is because this person did that to me a year later and I was like, Wow. Um, and I think it, I think they did feel better about it. I'm all for communication. So, yeah. um, it, well, I didn't, like, I forgot about it. Um, so it's, you know, but. And like forgiving people, forgiveness is a very powerful thing, right? Like the totally. only thing that removes the knots is being forgiven. Yep. Right. Yeah. So and this is, so when this people, is interesting. And this is a, this is a societal thing that I think mm. bothers me is that people tend to not forgive each other. They instead downplay the effect of the harm. Right. Yeah. Because there's the societal belief that like doing any small wrong thing makes you a bad person and being a bad person is unforgivable. Right. Um, The even the people who have been harmed then participate in it by saying, oh, no, 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 it wasn't a big deal. Right. Well, it's like, yeah, well, it wasn't a big deal. Right. But it was like what you're saying, like acknowledging the moral wrong of it and then forgiving someone for that moral wrong. Yeah. Is the only way to untangle that knot instead yeah. of just saying like, Oh no, it's nothing. I've totally forgotten about it. Like it's a non issue. Yeah. Right. And so like the thing in that Instagram message that like freed mm. me was the, you're now absolved of this cringy memory. Right. Like yep. th- she just like recognized what her role here was, which was the like, I'm here seeking absolution. And like, you are the only person who can absolve me. Yeah, because you're the person whom I harmed, so like, I'm asking to be forgiven, and you're granting it. You know. So here's here's a a segue, mm-hmm. not a segue. I'm gonna loop back on something we said earlier. Yeah, and build on what you're saying. I, and so in this experience, and I've i this is something I've learned to do, and I'm mm-hmm. interested to hear your take. Here is my personal, um, framework for doing wrong. Mm-hmm. So Caleb does wrong. Yes. He realizes it or is told it. Sure. 
and feels very bad and is sorry. Uh-huh. Like Dobie. Yeah. And he says, um, he expresses, okay, so we already talked about expressing the sorry, the initial sorry, right? Sure. But then there's how you deal with it for yourself. So, okay, so there's, uh, you need to learn to forgive yourself. You know, yes. like that's a thing. Uh-huh. That's true. That's true. But there's some nuance there. Sure. Um, so my personal framework that I think is working pretty well for me, I'm pretty happy with with where I've come with it, is you can't you can't you can't forgive yourself until mm. you've cleaned up your side of the street you have to clean up your side of the street for sure and this is what i tell myself you don't get to be absolved by begging for it verbally right you get to be absolved by correcting by the harm over time yeah so basically this is what so even very small things like i was at someone's house two weeks ago and this is weird because like it was this tiny little thing this person wouldn't even remember. Mm-hmm. But I just said something, you know, I was doing my like joke thing where I joke sarcastically and then I think they weren't like vibing with it. Mm-hmm. And then I did it a couple more times. And then I, and then on, in hindsight, I was like, oh, you're such a dick. You went over to their house. It's and their like, house. Made fun of them. <laughs> and you made fun of a, one of their things. Like think, cause if, you know, if you went over your brother's house or something, you would make yeah. fun of their thing. They would make fun of your thing. Everything would be fine. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, you know, it's like, so I could, I could put myself in those persons and be like, what the dude, you come over to my house and you just, you know? And so I play that story in my head. So here's what I think. This is really small. I could bring it up. Mm-hmm. That would be, but it's like too small to be brought up naturally. It, w- it would be almost weird. Mm-hmm. It'd be like, oh, you really beat yourself up over really tiny things. Like, so basically what I told myself in that scenario is, okay, you feel bad about this. Mm-hmm. There's no sense in really like, it's almost like selfish of you to just yeah. feel super, Sel- super no, bad about selfish <laughs> absolution is a total thing, right? And that's the thing is like, you can't... S- this is the thing you can't make you can't seek absolution if the act of seeking absolution would cause further harm yeah for right? sure and so yes. like if you're gonna go like whatever like apologize for like being vaguely being kind of a dick right, right? yes <laughs> yeah the harm you caused was like creating an awkward and uncomfortable situation for them if yeah. you come back at them with that you're just going to create another awkward and uncomfortable situation for them Yep. Right. Because it's not a concrete enough thing for them to like truly forgive you. You're making yeah, a big totally. deal out of nothing. People don't like when you make a big deal out of nothing. Right. right. What they want is for you to just act better. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the thing. What I've been able, this helps me. It helps me to think about, okay, you want to be absolved from this. What your nature says in this misconception I used to have in my life was be upfront. Go get the absolution that you want Mm -hmm. because communication is fantastic. You should forgive yourself. You should seek forgiveness. You should communicate clearly with people and just be upfront. I no longer think that way. My, where I get my energy from for this or where I absolve myself is saying, no, no, you did the wrong. So what you have to do is do a series of rights is not make stupid jokes like that for a while is be, you know, be on your toes, like be good, you know, actively and over time, this this is rooted in the belief that I think most people over time will morph their perception of you. Right. Well, and you this know? is the this is the other thing. It will too. cover over that that little ditch, uh-huh. and then I will allow. And that's how I'll forgive myself, and that's how they'll forgive me. And you know? sometimes this is the real thing. Sometimes the thing you feel guilty about is not the harm that they experienced, right? Mm. So sometimes you'll feel guilty for a different reason than they're mad. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so it's important when you're making this amends, right? When you're going and making the approach to someone to like make things right, that you're not there to just get absolution of your guilt. But instead, you're there to actually make right the wrong. Yeah, right? that is a hu- and hugely important distinction. And if your guilt is different than the thing than the actual harm that you caused, that's where you need to learn to forgive yourself because now you're guilty beyond other people's disappointment in you yeah right and that extra guilt that's something that's like between you know between you and whatever your belief system of guilt is right sure and like that's a place where you need to learn to forgive yourself because you're guilty about something that other another person didn't experience that harm yeah that i understand what you're saying yep it's tricky to tease out the differences always i have felt guilty for not liking people before right like oh, there's, sure. there's like, oh, I really didn't like this guy for a long time. And I thought bad things about him in my head for a yeah. long time. I never yeah. said anything to anyone. I didn't slander him. I didn't yeah. like deny him any opportunities, but I thought he was a dick. Right. Okay. And then yeah. later I realized this guy's actually fine. Mm-hmm. Right. And my instinct is to want to go apologize to this guy for thinking he was a dick and then have him absolve me of that. <laughs> right. But like, okay. all I'm doing is going up to a guy who didn't know that I ever thought he was a dick and telling him, hey, I used to think you were a fucking douchebag. Um, how do you feel about that? You know, which is like, I'm just putting him in an uncomfortable situation for no reason. Right. Yep. When I should just keep it to myself that I ever thought he was a dick and then work on that internally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's no reason to get him involved in that. Definitely. Yep. That's that's a that's an interesting example. Definitely. I I can identify with that. As somebody who thinks people are dicks sometimes. Yeah. Here um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess the, the, the point that I want to make and make crystal clear that I've already made, but I, it just feels like a sort of a revelation to me, is like find your peace when you do something wrong and, you know, do the right things. Clean up your side of the street, say the right amount of apology, all those things. And then instead of beating yourself up, you find peace and rest in... In the idea that you will be better the next time and and in the future Mm -hmm. and actively doing that without being a smoozer smoozer and without doing obvious weird things Mm -hmm. without asking for weird credit for doing better next time. Yeah. Don't don't try. Yeah. Okay. I think we covered it here, but um, but yeah, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot and being wrong is so to to your original point being wrong to me is really, really good for humility. It's good for empathy. It's good for grace towards other people. Mm-hmm. It just makes me a better person. Yeah. When I am bad and I recognize it mm-hmm. and I have to apologize, it improves m- my character. Yeah. Which is interesting. It is interesting. And I think there is a line where it can hurt people yes. in like permanent ways. But um, yeah. Anyway. So yeah, that's what I've been th- like randomly mulling over. Yeah. No, I'm with it though. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's it's great more people uh should yeah it's also it's also a straight up thing to call someone out on something you know yeah like it's like politely and respectfully and personally Uh and in a non-vindictive way like you know it takes kind of a little bit of balls to not just swallow your your anger towards someone or you know turn it into something toxic like gossip or something but to actually just be like hey here's the thing that kind of pissed me off yeah yeah i don't know okay I'm done. I'm also done. 
That's good stuff, D. Do you like data tables at all? Oh, good segue. <laughs> data tables? Love yeah. them. That's a moral oh. right. D. Cole, have you had... Tell me about every time you've ever had to do a data table. Every single time? I don't know. Throw a couple out there. Um. Yeah, there have been many. Um, has there ever been that that ticket, that task, that... that well, like um, we have Trello many, card? many data tables in our app. Okay. Um. And there's lots of index pages in our app. Gotcha. Where there's just like a bunch of things listed, yep. different columns of different types for different types of data. Okay. And then like a delete button and an edit button. Okay. You know, and then there's yep. sorting and there's searching and there's all the things. Okay. Yeah. Right. So yeah, Word. we have them. We got them. Okay. Cool. Did you handwrite them or did um, somebody? Well, some someone handwrote them. Yeah. And okay. at this point, most of them are like extending a template right that like data table is like a template that we have that you can extend okay yeah for other data tables so like all the indexes are based on the same template and you just Uh, throw data into them gotcha um but Mm -hmm. uh but you know occasionally you have to change something or something doesn't fit into that template and so yeah yeah there's a lot of but it's basically generic data tables okay that's good. Have you ever used data tables, the JavaScript library? No. Okay. Interesting. I, I remember like forever ago. Well, I think like, um, I don't know. I probably got my start in like admin LTE type stuff. Like, uh, oh, like the, um, <laughs> like trying to think like Envato themes. Um, gotcha. Like gotcha, gotcha. just applications, so like, a random themes, like bootstrap yeah, yeah. based things. Yeah. Um, so I've like worked in a lot of apps that have those and usually the, you know, there's a data table story with, um, you know, say what you will about those themes and stuff, but they really cover everything. I remember going from that to when bootstrap announced their application themes. Do you remember that with Mm -hmm. bootstrap three and being like, oh my gosh, this is so much better. Finally, not some garbage, like noisy Envato theme. Mm -hmm. Now they're like from the bootstrap folks themselves, but really they were so lacking. Yeah. Like they were so thin compared to what you actually need to do in a real like backend type app. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm going on data tables. My experience with data tables is using that JavaScript plugin, popping it in so easy to use. You just format your data, put it in and it handles everything. Mm-hmm. Sorting, but searching. But as soon as you need to pull data from the server side, oh yeah, it's like, no go mm-hmm. like it's not good it's not a good experience i wouldn't recommend yeah. not i've i've built a lot of data tables like in like laravel and react okay yeah like those sorts of like uh right. server rendered spa type things or not yes or like oh, so, server-side oh, client side routed, server-side routed spas okay you know what I'm but you're saying the data itself is the data comes from purely the on the front end. oh comes from okay yeah yeah, and then I remember now that I like know Vue.js, I remember having to do a data table and was like, you know what? I'm going to build my own. Yeah. I use Vue now. I can make my own data table. Like, do you remember uh, a theoretical client I don't know if you ever worked for that was about like cars? Yeah. So like that, that's like an example of like those types of things where it's like large filtering, sorting, searching yeah. data, you know? Yep. So anyway, I guess I'm saying all this to say that I feel like every developer who's been in it for any amount of time, data tables is one of those things yeah. that like most apps are a bunch of forms and tables. Yep. Like that's the best data oh, tables and forms. forms and tables all the way down. 
<laughs> exactly. That's what apps are. Um, so I decided to, to to like tackle it as deeply as I could. Sure. Um, did you see the stuff that I tackled? Like, did you see yeah, the list? I, I have looked at the table of contents of your thing. Okay. But I've not. Um, what were your thoughts on the table of contents? It looks good. Did it, like, did it feel to you like it was like, oh, it looks like you like, really like got into it um, like further than most people need to. Like most people are going to need a subset of the things that you did. Right. Yeah, that was my hope. Okay. Um, that's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, what was your experience doing it? Like, were there any gotchas that like you didn't that were like non-obvious how to do in Livewire? Honestly, not really. Nope. <laughs> you would. It. Um, non-obvious things. I mean, there were things that I was like, how would I do a CSV import with Livewire? Sure. But it's actually like, it's actually a CSV import, dude. That one was freaky. How yeah. like simple that is. Because right. if you think about it, you Just know how you can file. wire model to a file yeah, yeah, and you get that temporary file property. Uh-huh. You can just pull anything you want off of that CSV. You can get the headers and everything and you're never storing. You never have to worry. There's no, you. this is the reason it's cool. When you handle a CSV upload, you don't have to handle the upload at all ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to put You're not it storing anywhere. the CSV. Yeah. So it's like you don't have to deal with that whole story. It doesn't even exist. It's weird. Which is so cool. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like, because Livewire already stores it temporarily, and that's all you need. So that was actually extremely fun to do. Um, but yeah. No, dude, it was so much fun. One thing that, one thing that was a little next level, that it was the very last video, was mm-hmm. the caching stuff. Mm-hmm. And people were like, whoa, this is What's something the caching that... stuff? Talk, talk to me about it. So the idea is that... So everything's all hunky-dory with small data sets right. and local web development. Right, but you, you made it a million rows, I think. Yeah, so I was like, you know, let's crank this up because, you know, I make these cool demos that make Livewire look like the bee's knees and then, you know, somebody who has a slow app with bad servers and terrible queries has this thing that feels insanely sluggish. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let's do it. Let's hammer it with data and make it feel sluggish. And so basically now every live wire action is slow because all every time you're getting all that data. Right. Um, so I just kind of did a thing of like how you can selectively do that, how you can basically, and here's the approach I took. The first approach I took was the first approach I tried was opting in to, Oh, what was it? Okay. It's like, like cash remember. Okay. So let's say you have a data table and you pass results to the view sure. in Livewire. You could just cache remember that, you know, like cache colon colon remember or whatever Yep. in the callback and done. And you can make the cache key the ID of that component. Mm-hmm. So just make the key the ID so it's scoped to that, you know, component. Um, so then, you know, it works great, but you can never change the data, right. you know, like <laughs> it never changes unless you force a cache bust. Mm-hmm. So you could do that. You could opt in to busting the cache. So that's what I did at first was like all the places where you want live data you erase the cache like in a in an updated hook or something you know sure. like if you want to change it on per page you listen for you listen for the page property to change and bust the cache mm-hmm. the problem with this approach is if you're opting into cache busting then there's all these weird places where it doesn't get busted right you know so i think it depends entirely on the use case but this was a case where it's much better story to opt out or sorry, to opt into caching in general, you know? Mm-hmm. So what I did was when I return the results, I always keep a cache in the background of them. And then I alternately have a method in the component called 
skip query or skip query execution or something that you can opt into. You can call that anywhere. It sets a little protected property to true. And then when it goes to return the results, it says, oh, it wants me to skip the query. Return the last cached one mm-hmm. if it exists. So it's actually, it turned out really well. And I put it in a nice little trait like with caching or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it made it so that, you know, you could toggle something with Livewire and Blade and it's wicked fast. Mm-hmm. Then you could sort a row and it's wicked slow, you right, know, right? because it's a million row sort. Um, so I don't know. I was pumped about that one. Interesting. Interesting. Um, what? Why'd you start doing it? Oh, um, because I needed to do something on Surge, and I covered forms at a decent level. Mm-hmm. And honestly, data tables are like the best platform for learning anything. They are. You cover everything. By the end of it, I mean it. Literally, I said this in the tweet, but it's literally a masterclass in Livewire. Yeah. Doing it to this level of detail. Yeah. Um. That's why I picked it. I don't know. It's fun. Everybody has to do it. And nobody, all the demos like that I've done and stuff, they're never that like deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Never that detailed. And there's even more stuff. Like some, and it's also somebody... like kind of tests your belief that you can actually do stuff with Livewire. Like you built Livewire. You yeah. think you can do stuff with it, but it's it's good to build something really hard. Right. That's That was hugely empowering for me because there's a lot of things I couldn't have done either as elegantly before. Mm-hmm. Like, Did you before... have to change Livewire at all to make? Yes. What'd you change? <laughs> Good question, T. Cole. Because these right, are so these are the I, things that people probably were out there running into when you were like, ah, there's no problems right. with like, you know. Yeah, no, this is why it's so important for people who build stuff to use that yeah. stuff. Um, I fixed a bug, at least one bug. What was the bug? Oh, it was an entangle bug. Um, so entangle is not, but I wouldn't call it buggy. I would just say that there's so many edge cases. Yeah. That it doesn't feel like a flaky system. I have an it just feels like, a, oh, yeah, of course, Entangle would behave oddly with that case, and then yeah. you fix the case. But do you want to go to that, or do you want to hear the other things? No, let's hear the things. So I added a new hook called Before Render, mm-hmm. so that if you have a trait... Here's the thing that I'm going to improve in Livewire, based on what my experience recently. I want traits to be able to do more on a component. Okay. So I want you to be able to add a trait, and this is my goal. You know how on an eloquent model, you can have a trait and then use them. Like if the trait's called um, decol is awesome. So you use like it's a great use. Name for a trait. Yeah, I'm just random name. Mm-hmm. Uh, use decol is awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. In that trait, you can have a method. Let's say you want to hook into the booted of something, you know, like, but not overwrite a method that every other trait mm-hmm. might need. So there's, so Laravel will look for a method called initialize. And then the name of the trait. So initialize decol is awesome. Mm-hmm. You, you remember that? You've seen that, right? Uh, I didn't know that, but that's cool. You did at one point, guaranteed. Okay. This was one of my first like hot tip tweets because okay. I found it in the, the source code and it's not documented. And cool. Anyway, so I repeated that pattern in Livewire a while ago. So you can do that in Livewire. A trait can have a method called initialize and then its own name. Mm-hmm. But really, okay, one, nobody knows about it. Mm-hmm. Just me. And two... Um, it's not really intuitive because you don't know when it gets called. So I would like there, I would like you to be able to register any lifecycle hook in a trait, like mount decol is awesome. Right. And then you get your own mounted method. Um, hydrate decol is awesome. Updated. In, in what order do they awesome. run in? Um, good question. I don't know. I would say after. I would say traits after. 
Uh-huh. And then the traits run in the order that they're imported in, I guess. Yeah. That would be kind of arbitrary. Can a trait import another trait? Yes. So I actually so then, read, dude, this is funny. So then it so then it would be like <laughs> you go through the traits in the order they're imported, but you do all of their child traits before you move on to the next. I don't know. I think I would just maybe it's class uses recursively or something or I have something right now to get the traits and I'd probably just use that. And it does work. I already have the system to get all the traits and I know it works because I extended the with pagination trait. Mm -hmm. So I tried to create my own with pagination trait to hijack a few things. Mm -hmm. But I, so I literally wrote trait with pagination extends base with pagination was like, wait, yeah, you can't extend traits. So I was like, I like scratched my head for a second. I was like, oh, I could use that trait within this trait. And then it it worked. But actually they, whatever. I had to rename one of them, but yeah. So it does work to have the multi-level deep trait um, method calling. But wouldn't that be great, like, to have that ability in a trait to really hook into the life cycle of a live wire component? Yeah, that would be cool. It's extremely useful. It really is. So that that's one thing I added. I also added, um, I swear I added another method. I mean, I definitely, I made, like, three distinct changes that had tests and committed them uh, specifically for this, which I have to tag that release because people are going to try to use something that doesn't work. If you have a class with a method in it, yeah, and then you add a trait with that same method name in it, yeah, which one gets preferred? I think the class. Okay. Yeah. Wait, you could theoretically use at the bottom of a class. Yeah, I don't know if that would change Does it. Does that I order matter, I wonder? I do wonder. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a very good question. Hmm. But I don't... I would. I doubt it. Traits are a little murky, dude. Traits are a little sketchy. I love me some traits. Yeah, too. I love them too. But the, I think the thing I like about them is they're a little sketchy. Yeah. The rules are a little yep. unclear with traits. Yep. It's... uh, Yeah, I, I built this huge data tables component and then one of the episodes is called refactoring. And I really just just uh not planned at all i just hit record and started refactoring it just to see where it landed and i'm pretty happy with it i like was able to extract out with sorting with pagination with searching with with all of these things that could be reused and then just expose like a method like apply sorting because people that you could pass in a query in their tutorials never do that Oh, just like they never write the code the way you would write it the first time first and then refactor it midway. Oh, interesting. You know what yeah. I'm saying? They'll always because yeah. they're writing it themselves and then refactoring it. Right. And right. then making a tutorial based on the refactored code as if they were just coming up with that the first time. Right. Um, Dude, if it's a if it's some <laughs> natural uh, programming tendencies that you're after, my screencasts are for you. <laughs> This is like a, to a new level. Uh, there's a lot of just yeah. shooting from the hip, that's, no editing. That's what, that's that what you thing. do, man. That's what we all, well, I don't know if we all, but you and I specifically are very shoot from the hip. <laughs> like yep. th- this show has always been very shoot from the hip. It's the only you're way it works. warrior is shoot from the hip. Yep. Yeah. If, it's, if you're not shooting from the hip, it's too much work yeah, and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, For sure. Okay, let me ask my Alpine yep. question. Please do. Okay, so I'm making a component library right now. Have I told you about the component library? Oh. Not at all. Okay. So cool. we have a lot of Blade components. Word. Not a lot, a lot, but like enough, right? Okay. And you have this thing, whenever you have a lot of components, you end up like making components because it, you don't realize that there's already a component that does this. Right? 
like it's hard to know if you didn't write all of the components oh sure yeah it's hard to know like what components exist and what they do and how they behave and so you have to read the code of the components that already exist you know yep and it's just it's just hard to know so i'm making a component library um okay it's very smart so it detects all the blade components that exist um there's three places that you can look for blade components and it looks in all three of them okay um this also works with our app modules thing which is cool um so it finds all the blade components in the app and then it uh does a little bit of fancy magic to figure out the uh component alias of the component and the component class name of the component and all of the constructor arguments of the component okay um and then it generates Are all these components ones that have classes uh no but okay. that's handled that situation gotcha. is handled so basically okay. the three places you can look are the uh class directory the view directory and the uh registry the component registry um what's that is that just like the runtime registry register component yeah yeah right like those all get stored in like somewhere in the app where you can find them um Uh, oh like a file no 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 but like an array yeah yeah sure yeah totally um and those you might not be able to find but you wouldn't be able to find by looking in the view directory yep yep so anyway you get these three types of things they're all different because some are blade files, some are class files, some are whatever. Yeah. But you normalize them down to a similar set of data, right? Okay. Um, and then you get all the params, right, that okay. this component can accept. And then you figure out what the types of those params are and the defaults. So you're saying you're creating something to document every component? Auto-document. Like in yeah. an automatic way? Uh-huh. And is this going to... So I'm picturing... Because like where my mind went right away was that's super useful like i did i wasn't even thinking the automated thing but i was just thinking in surge i should have a slash components page mm-hmm. that's really just a showcase of every component and its permutations you know um kind of like if you went to tailwind ui and saw everything that's available sure. it would be like that so with the rendering we're right so the way that i'm going to handle the rendering and i'm working on this right now okay um is basically anywhere where your um wherever your component is defined Okay. Right. So whether that's a blade.php or a .php or whatever, right? Um, you can include a that component alias dot demo dot blade dot php in the same directory as your component, um, which will be a chunk of blade oh. that you can use to set up a demo version of that component. And so anywhere I find a component, I just look in the neighborhood and I see, is there a demo file for this component sitting here? If so, then we'll render it. If not, then we'll say there's not a demo for this one, but here is the code snippet of how to use this one based on our intelligently parsing the um, parsing the attributes or whatever. What? Yeah, it's cool, right? Um, and so the... And so for the the code snippet box, if you give me a demo, I'm just going to take the code that you put in the demo and stick that into the code snippet box. Yep. So we have a code snippet box, which basically is like a copy button to copy it to your clipboard. Sure. And whatever. So if you give me a demo, then I'll just use that. If you don't give me a demo, then I'm intelligently going to build that up from the constructor parameters and the alias and the tag name and everything. Right. Just throw everything in there. But at the end of the day, what happens is I have like an X calendar event tag. Yep. Um, 
and I want to copy it to a clipboard with JavaScript. Yep. And so I want to use Alpine to do this. Right. So I want to add a piece of Alpine data that is a string of HTML text with new lines in it. Yeah. Is this something I can do? Because when I just did it, like the way I thought would happen, I started getting like completely insane, obscure Alpine errors. Oh, like in Alpine, you can't store data that has well. I don't know. I don't know what about it doesn't work, right? So I don't uh, know whether so it's the new something. lines. I don't know whether it's the like unescaped brackets. I'm gonna write this down right now, yeah, so that I do not forget this. Alpine better error handling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the errors are you should they're terrible bad. because it's all evaluated at runtime with like eval. It just shows you the line that calls the eval. Yeah, in the minified of, Alpine. Yeah, yeah, in the minified Alpine, where Super what cool. would be the dandiest thing in the world is if it gave you an the error. offending line. Yeah, even just even just the expression that was run and errored out. Yeah, like that's that's all you would need. That's all you need. Well, no, but I don't think an expression was run. Okay, saying. so in your I case, right, you have a data. Yeah. Okay. Um, fair. Well, an expression is run that evaluates the X data. Right, right, right. Probably where it But it's not my expression. It's one of your expressions run. No. The X data, the contents of X data okay, is the yeah, expression. Yeah, sure, sure. I guess X data is an expression. It would just like spit out the string of X data that you have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then at least it would point you to be like, what's up with this? Mm -hmm. But I don't know, man. I mean, I, like, I don't I'm, know. It's just kind of unclear how the data is parsed. I mean, how does, I literally. How does that data just become a JavaScript object? Yeah. So the string literal, uh -huh. um, I take that and I don't JSON parse it. I just uh, set it to an object, I think. I just do like, so you know eval. I don't use eval, but let's pretend I do. Uh-huh. You just pass in a string and it'll evaluate it like it's JavaScript that sure. you wrote, yeah. right? So I probably attach at the beginning like data equals and then that hard-coded string. Mm -hmm. Those curly braces and everything. Gotcha. And that's it. Um, yep. And then what kind of escaping or not escaping happens? Nothing. Nothing. So, uh, so what if... I would think that you could do a line like a break. Closing quotation mark and then a closing angle bracket. So I've dealt with this. This is tough. Yeah. Um, the tough thing is because like because my if, code does have closing quotation marks and closing angle brackets in it because it's HTML. I mean that. Right. That would be fine. It would be fine. No, the close the double quotes wouldn't be fine. Right. So this is the thing. I think I have to escape it differently for because the thing is i'm going to copy it directly to the clipboard right so i want it to copy to the clipboard so i'm i might need to like parse it before i copy it or something yeah you know so yeah. that's the because like when i just drop it directly into like a code tag for highlight js sure it works beautifully okay um so i'm just trying yeah i just need to figure out like what what alpine is getting and then like it'd be nice if i could like see that in javascript or something you know yeah the real problem is that i mean it would be nice if you could do that and that we should make it do that but the problem 
that you're encountering, that I've encountered, is if you get real funky with X data and you do a lot of stuff in it, like you add a ton of functions and stuff that do stuff. That's not what I'm doing. There's one X data element. Go with me, Deke. Uh (laughs) You're doing funky stuff. Yeah. You have a bunch of stuff and you need a double quote inside of your code, inside of X data. If you think about it, that just breaks HTML, like straight up. That's not anything beyond just HTML being like, there's gotta here's be an to, opening. There's got to be a way to escape a double quote, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I believe that way is, oh, what is it? It might just be ampersand quat. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe. But I don't actually know. So I did. I, I, did, I like, ran into this the other day, and I did something, and it worked. And I don't remember yeah, what it was. Yeah. So I need to like HTML encode it. So this is the problem, right? So I need hmm. to. I don't know. So I'll HTML encode it in Blade before okay. I store it into Alpine, and then I'll use JavaScript to HTML decode it before I store it to the clipboard. Yeah, um, that would be fine. I'm looking right now, and I guess I somehow weaseled my way out of needing <laughs> a double quote, and I used a escaped single quote. Weird. Because with HTML, you know, like selectors, you can use right, double and right. singles you know, sort of interchangeably. So whatever, I, I weaseled my way around it. But yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Okay. Anyway. I got something for you. Yeah, hit me. It's a blade component something. Okay. So I freaking love blade components. They're great. I'm so heavy into them. And I think they're a fantastic abstraction, but I've needed two things that they don't provide. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about how we can make it work. Tell me. Here's one thing. This one's straightforward. I think it would be cool. Do you use slots? Uh, I don't like named slots at all. Uh, I don't really use them. Okay. So I think it would be awesome. You know how you have like, like if you're using the tag syntax, like X hyphen component, and yes. then you have a name slot. So it's X hyphen slot and then na- a name attribute, right. right? I think you should be able to add more attributes like class and things like that and forward them. To children. Yeah. So right. I, like, so that you could, you know, cause I don't know. I think that would be fantastic. Cause I've wanted that. Like if, so I have a table blade component yep. and then I have a, a head slot and a body slot. Mm-hmm. And if I want to be able to add a class to T body or T head, I would love to just add it to the slot to tag the component. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would have, it's, it would be true. It would be tricky because if you think about it, when you echo out the slot, you're echoing out, right. You're echoing out the contents of it. Oh no, it wouldn't be that bad. So if let's say, but instead of like right now, blade makes slot contents a string, right? Sure. It would need to be an object that you could extract attributes from, you know? But also, it would need to be stringable. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So it's not a huge thing, but it's something that I could really benefit from because you're kind of screwed otherwise. Right, right, right. You, I guess you could make another slot that was just like classes or something. Oh, yeah. Or you funny. could like set, pass the classes in. I mean, yeah. Do right. You could always you pass, pass in anything in. Yeah. But that's the thing I tried. That's my last resort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like some bespoke name thing. All right. Here's another one that I, I do you use Tailwind uh, with yes, your components? We do. Okay. I'm betting you've ran into this. I'm hoping you have. Do you use class merging, attribute merging? Uh, I don't know what that is. So in a blade component, how you have like dollar sign attributes, arrow merge. Mm-hmm. You use that? Uh, no. Oh, interesting. What do you, 
I don't do think you forward so. attributes. Do you echo out a dollar sign attributes? What, what are you talking about? Blade components. Oh, you're still talking about blade components. So using Tailwind in blade components, I see. Yes. Um, right. Forget do, I said Tailwind first. Do sec. I do what? So you have a blade component. Yes. And you say X hyphen, and you're calling it. So it's like a whatever. It's an icon blade component. Sure. X hyphen icon. You say X hyphen icon, name equals something, and then you say class equals, and then foo and bar. Uh-huh. Right on that, that you know, component um, declaration, you know? Right. So how do you accept that in the definition of the component? I don't know. I don't do that. I've never done that in a component I've built. Wow. Funny. I wonder how. But they, Chris and Bogdan just built like a ton of icon components. So I wonder if they did it. So a good example of this. Icon components are a good use case for that. Yeah. So like icon components, uh, the two things that I I would. I think they didn't. See, and this is my tendency. My tendency is like, if there's like a visual customization to be made for the component. Yeah. Like uh, CSS classes are too low level for that. Like. If you want this icon to no. be green, you should have a color thing, and then you should call you should pass in the word green. Interesting. I disagree because like you shouldn't just let people stick like any CSS class they want on it. Although, if why you, not? What do you mean? Why not? Why not? Because like we want people to use these things consistently. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, so here's a good example. Um, components shouldn't have their own margins. Right. Oh, you know? I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it, let's say you can't use space Y above in the parent and you want to actually do like an MT yeah, so you, hyphen one. So I think what I would normally do there is just wrap it in a div and put the stuff on there. Yeah, that's dark, man. Yeah. But I mean, like I do tons of class forward. I, I think I think I just haven't really thought about it that much. And maybe I have done it. But like it doesn't strike me as something that I think of as very important. But I, I can is, I can see why it's important. Interesting. In it's context. hugely important to me. I like, might just not have run into it. In, yeah, I don't know. So almost every component I make, I don't start by forwarding the class attribute, yeah. but I I'm gonna look almost at my code after this episode need to and do I'm going to realize I've done it like three times. And I <laughs> okay. So the syntax for forwarding attributes uh-huh. is just echoing dollar sign attributes. Sure. You've seen that? Uh, yeah. Okay. So when Taylor and I were talking about Blade components, I was like, one of the things that I really want out of this is merging classes mm-hmm. because that was something that was hard to do in view mm-hmm. no the view did automatically mm-hmm. at the root it did it automatically but it was hard to do if you forward it or something I don't know, whatever um so i was like this is really important to me so we he added uh attributes arrow merge mm-hmm. and then you could merge in like default attributes and then the new ones coming in okay but it handles class specifically differently it looks to see if you're trying to merge class and if it is it actually parses out like all the classes and it will only add the ones that are different, you know? Mm-hmm. The problem here is that if I have a component that has like, it's a button component, X button. And this isn't a good example because you'll say that this isn't the right place for classes, but let's just say that I have that and I have BG green 500 sure. in the, in the component. Sure. But I do the attributes class merge thing. Sure. So when I'm calling X button, I add class equals, and I want to change the background color. So I say BG blue 500. Mm-hmm. Laravel is not smart enough to know that they're both background colors 
and to prefer the one that I'm passing in. Right. So it has two classes now, BG blue and BG green. And then it's up to whatever tailwinds. Whichever order. Yeah. Yeah. And so I run into this all the time with like text sizes Mm -hmm. and text colors and background colors. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be dope to have some sort of syntax that would make it easy for me to be like merge but with prefix or like a like a wildcard merge rule that's like bg hyphen star you know so i only have one bg hyphen on this thing and only one text hyphen on this thing you know sure um what would maybe be better is if you instead of defining prefixes with stars yeah if you defined suffixes and said these are known suffixes any class that has something and then this suffix um is like an overwritable class right so like you might say like blue dash 100 is a known suffix right um or like all of your colors are known suffixes right and s- do you get what i'm saying here no okay so i'm like i'm kind of thinking like there are lots of like almost all of the cases where you're where you're going to run into that where like you would have like bg green and then bg blue right yeah or like border one and then border eight you know or like margin top four margin top eight yeah right all of those things like there's a million prefixes right margin top margin bottom margin left margin right you know um but there's only a handful of suffixes right it's like the numbers oh interesting you're saying just hyphen number things hyphen number things uh color things the problem with that though is how would you know which number thing is overwritable or not so the one from the parent the one that was passed in overwrites the default yeah so let's say that i have uh, text in the the default i have text hyphen blue 500 and bg hyphen blue 500 right and then the thing i'm passing in is text hyphen blue 200 right so what's the, the story text there blue 200 wins because the thing you're passing in has in our, in oh, our okay, little I model see. of okay, specificity so, gotcha you just sure. say the thing you're passing in wins you just say like that's the order so of the array have, merge like, here's Here's all of the things that ha- that are suffixy. Uh-huh. We got a text, we got a BG that have suffixes on mm-hmm. the default. Look at the stuff coming in. Does this does that have what's suffixy there? Mm-hmm. And then see if those prefixes match any of the other suffixy match. things that I have. Right. Yeah, it'd get p- kind of interesting with like Cuz that would be a way that you wouldn't have to pass it in on a component by component basis. You could just define a set of rules that apply to Tailwind and your Tailwind config. Right. No, and then you I wonder wouldn't have if, to do it on a bespoke level. You could just say like, and I wouldn't want to. Yeah. I mean, I, I would want to create a tool that does this automatically. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's a macro or if it's something chained on to the attribute bag or if it's like a PR to Laravel, which I doubt it. But, um, yeah. But so like that could get weird with um responsive like with modifiers, you know, um like if you have like SM colon text mm. hyphen yeah, blue no, hyphen because now you're dealing yeah, with prefixes. Yeah, it's it's pretty. Well, no, no, wild. it wouldn't actually because if you just include sm colon whatever in the prefix, 
right? If you just say everything before the color is the prefix, that includes SM. Right. So if you don't overwrite that exact thing, then it doesn't get overwritten. Yeah, right. It would have to have a, a match, like a full match, yeah. like SM text color uh -huh. SM to Yeah, okay. Yeah, that is actually probably a better algorithm to do it. Um because you want to do a full match on that. Yeah. Okay. Um anyhow, so right, 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 right. Yep. So I, I started with like, well, maybe the component defaults will always be the least specific thing that you would do. Uh -huh. So whatever color is the least specific and use that whatever, whatever color is the least well color is a terrible example but like whatever basically for me it was like okay icons start off as being like text gray 900 or something uh -huh. and most of the time i'm making them like 400 uh -huh. which specifically doesn't win uh -huh. so what if i make the default 400 and then you can opt into the 900 you know what i mean i don't know what you mean at all it sounds like you're talking nonsense uh, if you apply to text great so your your plan was to like assign assign some sort of specificity value to different colors no no they already have specificity values you know how they're okay if you have a if you have a class string and tailwind like a, a, a button with two classes text gray 400 and text gray 900 yeah whichever one what comes color with, is it uh i guess 900 because that's probably defined second yep yeah Right, but what I'm saying, oh, so you're saying like you're just going to rely on that specificity somehow? Yeah, I'm saying uh, I would just like make the default of the component to be the less specific thing. Oh, uh, that's gross. Um, I don't want to. No, I know. I'm just saying that's. I don't want to think I about agree that with you. ever. Yep, I know. I know, Deke. Mm, that's I know rough. If only, you know what would solve these problems? Uh, class Here's what order would solve these problems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If class order specificity was a thing that worked, um, that would be great. Yeah. Yep. Because then you could just pass anything after. Would yeah, dude, that would be great. Or terrible. Because you'd get all these weird behavior things and maybe not be able to pinpoint them or something. I don't know. But yeah. Okay. There, so what are the reasons that class order matters? There are a few times where class order matters and I can't think of what they are. Right now. Never experienced that. They exist. Me and John Bond ran into one. Really? Bond John Accorsi. Interesting. No clue. No clue, Brian. Anyway, these are the things that keep me up at night. Yeah, man. You want to call this episode? Dude, let's, what should we call this episode? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's unknowable. All right, cool. Good one. Would you like to cue that outro music? Um, how about I just sing the outro music? Go for it. All right. I'm going to try to impersonate it as best as possible. Uh -huh. Ready? Three, two, one. <laughs>